started our new series last week titled Blueprint, and we're in the book of Titus. So will you just run with me to the book of Titus today? We're going to be in chapter 2. There's so much to cover, and so I'm excited just to start running through these. Uh, once again, for these types of series that are specifically in a book, I try to run through it together, kind of like a Bible study together as we exegete these verses one after the other, and we ask the Lord what he has not only through his word for his church, but specifically perhaps for one life or even your life. What is God saying to you? This is my disclaimer as you turn to Titus 2, and I, I want to hear pages turning. We got new pens in this week, so right in front of you, you might have a, a pen that is coming in. You're welcome to take it with you. Um, and there's also a Bible in the seat in front of you. If you have a seat in front of you, would you grab a Bible and turn these pages? We're in the New Testament, the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2. And as you run there, let me start giving my disclaimers. I didn't write this. So I don't know how many of you left here last week feeling a little iffy about what we were talking about. Just remember that as I go through this and I teach us this, our preferences and our sensibilities and what culture has taught us to believe has nothing to do with what God intended for his word. And that is why he is God. And that's why we trust in him for the impossible because he has the ability for things that are way beyond our control, including teaching us how to live. Because the truth is, he has given us life and somehow we find a way to mess it up. Maybe not all of you. But I know that for every day that I wake up, I need him to breathe breath into my lungs and to teach me how to live my life accordingly. Because if he left it up to me, <laughs> we'd have a big old problem. I probably wouldn't be up here, first of all. Um, so it's by his grace and by his salvation and by his son on the cross hanging in this just free grace that we get to be and live in the fullness of what he intends us to be. And that's important. And it's a disclaimer because you're going to see that I find Titus 2 to be an extremely challenging book of the Bible. And so my family knows this entire week, and even the leaders, I told them to pray over me because there's some things in here that I know are going to rub you the wrong way. And so I pray that you would listen to me with grace. And let's read this entire chapter, Titus 2, verse 1 through 15, and then we're going to pray right after. So let's get into this food. Titus 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine or slaves to much wine or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and some, anybody offended yet? I told you, I didn't write it. Let me go back, verse 5. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, their own husbands, their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all aspects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, 
so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Therefore, I endure everything. I'm sorry. I just switched to my Bible, and that wasn't it. That was 2 Timothy. Verse 10. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If you remember, that's kind of what Janelle was just speaking of, right? To live lives that honor the Lord. Let me read that last verse again, the end of verse 14. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous That means anxiously going after good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. Let me start in verse 15 before we run to verse 1. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. It's exactly what we're doing here in the church today. And exactly what the church is meant for to declare God's word, the truth of his gospel. And we do so like we explained last week, to exhort lovingly, but also to rebuke. It is my job to correct you when we measure these things that are unholy and to bring you back into recognition and towards repentance. But it is not my job to condemn you. It is not my job to not love you. But it is for us to walk together in this direction that God has intended. But to Titus, who is his student, Paul the teacher, Titus, remember, he has been tasked with leading this church on a small island south of Greece called Crete. It is a city that is being beaten down by these old cultures and these old traditions. They believed in Zeus as their god, Greek mythology. And there were people within the church who were kind of making their own style of religion, style of this new hope, Jesus Christ, and they were teaching the false gospel. So what he is telling Titus here is that he has to declare these things, exhort. That means that in him declaring, there would be a need for him to correct. So for those of us who have itchy ears, we're going to read that in a second, We're looking for a church that's going to say things that we want to hear. Tell me how much money I'm going to make. Tell me how amazing I am. That is not what the declaration of God's word is for. He says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke, because the goal, friends, the goal is not to be a better us on earth. The goal on earth is for us to be better believers and to trust in Jesus Christ with all that we have. That is the goal here. Our goal is not even one day to get to heaven. I'll tell you why. Because that's selfish. For the goal for us to be one day in heaven, walking down these streets of gold, is about us. 
The purpose of us now in life is to lead godly lives and to be obedient and to trust in the Lord. The reward for that, because God is good, is that we would share one day with him in paradise. Do we understand that? So if somebody ever asks you, like, what is the goal of a believer? Your answer should never be, I want to get to heaven. Your answer should be, I want to please Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, in obedience. That is an, an incredible, if you believe that, right? Because you can say one thing with your mouth and not believe it in your heart. But if you truly believe that, the Lord is watching your heart and he says, wow, what he desires is me and not what I can give him. Do you desire God for what he's already done and not just what he is able to give you? In verse 1, he says, but as for you, what does this tell us? This tells us that he is speaking specifically to Titus. At the end of verse 1, we see that he is talking about the circumcision party. We see that in verse 10. He says, for there are many who are in, verse 10 of verse one of chapter 1, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. This is in the church a growing church. And friends, in 2022, we still have these churches. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, which tells us that they, even back then, were people who believed more in the law than believed in the truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ, who believed that they needed to be circumcised in order to receive the saving grace of God. Do we get that? Okay. But what he's saying here in verse 1 of chapter 2, but as for you, Titus, this is what I want from you. And as I read this, this is what he desires from me. When you read it, this is what he desires from you. Teach what accords, and we see that phrase again, sound doctrine. Doctrine is a particular principle, position, or policy taught or advocated. Doctrine are rules established by God. And as far as we know, remember we started last Sunday by saying that what this book says is what we believe. If you are someone who struggles in what God's word says, nobody's going to beat you down for that. But I invite you to ask God to give you revelation for his word so that when you read it, even if it offends you, you would say, Lord, I receive it and I believe it. That's why I'm, I push you guys in the last couple of weeks to please pick up your Bibles. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much. To please pick up your Bibles. There's something about, like, there's something, right? Like, I mean, I know I'm fairly young, but fairly. Stop. I told somebody, Whitney, I told Whitney that I was 36 twice today, and I was like, my goodness, it's over. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the, <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's <laughs> something about the flipping of these pages, right? I really, I have to admit that I almost never use my, my phone for the scriptures because as I'm reading and I see these repetitions, you'll notice that there is a phrasing, two words joined together that keeps coming up as we read chapter 2, and it's the word self-controlled. The beauty of chapter 2 is that it is also telling the people of the church how they are to be if they are to call themselves Christians. Look at verse 2. He speaks first to the older men. Older men, if you consider yourself an older man. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, 
in love and in steadfastness. Paul teaches Titus what the older men of the church should be like and exhort them into that sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. If you have your pen out and you have your Bible open, underline that word, self-controlled. Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older men, especially older men here at One Life, carry yourselves in dignity and with love. And all these things are manageable if we know Christ intimately. The better that we get to know Jesus Christ for ourselves by studying his word and allowing him to reveal himself unto us, the easier it is for us to read these words and say, I long to be that. When you read scriptures, specifically things like this that are so direct for all of us, today we have older men. Today we have older women. Today we have young women and young men. So when you read this, Lord, I long to be what your word says that I should be. But what happens in our current culture is what 2 Timothy chapter 4 says. When Paul speaks to Timothy in this second letter, he says, he exhorts Paul, uh, Timothy into this. He says, preach the word, and then it's a semicolon. So that means that it, that alone stands by him. So he says, preach the word. That sounds simple, but the truth is that many, many, many people preach an adjusted gospel that is false. And it's adjusted because it sounds like it's correct, but it's been cooked up to be something that they know that people want to listen to. But this is what the Bible says. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. The only way you're ready in season and out of season if you get to know God's word. Because one day perhaps, and I've taught you this, perhaps the church will not be here. Perhaps we'll be in jail and they'll be cutting our heads off like the apostles and the disciples. And what happens to you? Be ready in season and out of season. I'm painting you a graphic image, but the truth is that the apostles were killed for the gospel. And who's to say it won't happen again? We were created to glorify the Lord, but in glorifying God, we will always sit in persecution. Then he says to Timothy, he's speaking to Timothy here, not, not Titus in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 to 4. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That is a lesson to us in leadership. When we correct somebody, you don't correct from the perspective, from the vantage point of abuse of control. Hello. Our job it is, is not to abuse people because we sit in the space of authority. It says to do so with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not listen. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Are you, under, are you listening to this? And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What does this mean? This means that you might go into a church one day with a pastor who is faithful in his preaching. And what he says is going to offend you and you have a choice. You either sit and receive the correction or you go and look for somebody that will tickle your ears. 
it says that there will be a time that people will not endure. That means they cannot sit in the middle of sound teaching because when we learn scripture, when we face the gospel and his truth, we realize that we all need correction. In verse 3, he speaks to the women. <laughs> I have to admit to you that this one was hard for me. All right, so I'm going to read, and I pray that you would receive this uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. First, I want to acknowledge that there is a word there that says teach. Teach. You can certainly teach in silence out of testimony, but this is not what this is referring to. I love that Paul made women equally as important. He speaks to the older women first, to older, older men, and then speaks to these older women. There are those today who perceive the importance of women in an ungodly manner when it comes to the organization of the church. Hold on. This is what we call, what I like to refer to as the Titus II woman. We have a number of them in this house. This is what we should be seeing from the women of the church in terms of, con, uh, in terms of conduct and also gifting. Because he talks about how women should be and then also about what women should do. God establishes his doctrine regarding men and women. Let me take a break for a second. According to scripture and what God created that we read in Genesis chapter 1, there is man. And there is woman. And that is all. Women, he writes, be reverent in your behavior, carrying yourself with dignity and in a reverent manner, knowing that you are living a living testimony of God. Also, women, do not speak ill of others. Don't be women of gossip or unkindness, and we see this also happening in Scripture, that there were some contexts where Paul is speaking to the women of the church because they were drenched in gossip and unkindness towards one another. And so when he directs himself to the women, he says, stop speaking. But here we see that to Titus, he gives further instruction about how the women are supposed to conduct themselves in their person and also towards the church. It also says, don't be a slave to wine, meaning don't let wine be your master. I repeated it three times before, and I know it sounds funny, but the truth is that we, in our culture, in many cultures, in modern time, even the last few hundred years, have become slaves to drinking. We can't have a good time without having a sip of something. Now, this isn't in Scripture, but I'm going to share with you as your pastor and because I want you to get a model of what I have perceived. I don't, I personally, let me clarify, like Paul did, this is not in the Bible. I'm just going to share with you what I believe. I don't see a need for drinking. I don't understand it. 
Now, if you want to have your glass of wine, I'm not asking you guys to sit and pray about your glass of wine if you're going to have it. I'm not saying all of that. I also believe that the church, for the sake of um, manipulating people, has also taught this broken doctrine that says if you drink, you are a sinner. Or you are currently, like, that's not what the Bible says either. I don't want to paint you the wrong picture. But I love that Paul says, do not be a slave to wine. And to the older men, he says, be sober-minded. The sober-minded doesn't just have to be in regards to the drinking. The sober-minded can also mean about their character. Walk in dignity. Walk in calmness, in patience. Because especially men, there's something like God built us with this animalistic aggression, right? So what he says is calm down. Older men, calm down. Just to wrap up that thought about the not being slaves to wine, I invite you, if you're somebody that can't have a good time without a sip, if you cannot enjoy your steak without a glass of wine, ask yourself, what, like, am I a slave to this, perhaps? And I'm not saying we have to struggle with it every day in, you know, in silence, in the dark, but is something inside of you crying out for this? But it says, do not be a slave to wine. Verse 4 and 5, it says, further instruction for the women. It says, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Verse 5, to be, con- to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be re- reviled. Let's do this. Don't be offended first by the word train. It means to teach. It is the responsibility of the older women of the church, and this applies to us as well, friends. It is the responsibility of the older women of the church to teach the younger women to love their husbands and children. Attention is thick, though, right? Because you, we, we, let me clarify this too, right? Obviously, here, there are women who cannot have children. There are women and men who God has called into singleness for himself and for his glory. But what this is telling us that there are things in our cultures that should not die. That men, you are to teach the younger men. And I've said this to the men of our church. Teach these young adult men how to be men according to God's will. Teach our young boys how to one day be Men, how to be husbands, how to be children, how to be fathers and brothers, how to be responsible, how to get up for work because we're losing that in our culture. And I understand this is a millennial standing up here trying to talk about this stuff, but I'm one of those and like the beginning of the millennials where we were still taught how to get up and go to work. I got home one day and my dad had stuffed all my stuff into a bag and put it on the front of the front door Because I had failed out of college. Some of you didn't know that. And I got home and I made my parents a fettuccine Alfredo with chicken just to give them the bad news. And my dad knew that every time I made food, it's because I was going to give him some, you know, I cook a lot more at home now and it's not for bad news. So... I get home, though, and I find that my stuff is outside because there was one rule at my house. And, Dad, you know this to be true. He said, if you live at my house, you go to school. And if after school is done and you're still in my house, you get up and you go to work. 
But have you noticed that even in our culture today, these are things that aren't taught, but these are things that we need to bring back. So what Titus is saying here to the older women, you have a responsibility for the church that wants to silence women and say you are worth nothing. This is the complete opposite by way of scripture. Because there are assemblies who say, women, you do not speak at all. But this is saying, women, older women, you have a responsibility of God has put into you, into your belly, the gifting of sharing his gospel. Then you grab these younger women and you teach them how to be strong disciples of Jesus Christ. I know we're offended because it didn't say men. But it doesn't minimize the importance. This is what I'm trying to get to. This is not saying that a woman's only job and importance is only in the home or that their value is only seen through their marriage and their motherhood. You are more than just a mom and you are more than just a wife. You are a disciple maker, which is the greatest thing that God can call you into. But in what God intends for us, there are assignments. Here's another offense to women as to men, there are roles that are assigned into God's house. We don't like it. I know we don't. Men, this doesn't mean that your wife only exists for your pleasure. And she doesn't just exist to be bullied and commanded by you. Because it says in verse 5, submissive to their own husbands. This doesn't mean that a woman is less than a man. I need us to understand this. We are given something good. It is not good for man to be alone, and so he provides for us the gift of a wife. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have my wife. She is my <laughs> That's my wife, by the way, with the, with the amens. I really thought she was, like, feeling the sermon today. Paul says that we are to love our what? One wife. Remember in Titus chapter 1, that we are to love our one wife. And we learned what love was just a few weeks ago, right? This selfless and patient and kind love. It is not just to say, hey, baby, you look beautiful today. You know, like, like that, that, that is part of our affection towards our wife. But to love our wives is sacrificial. It means that you are on your hands and knees. And when she cannot help provide for the house, you find a way, man. You find a way to take care of your house because it's our responsibility. When your wife is down and unable to move and unable to help because she's super tired, then you get up and wash the dishes. And you get up and wash the, the sheets. You throw, I mean, this is stuff I do at home. It is, I promise you. I told my wife, you, in my house, my dad would do the laundry so my mother wouldn't have to. My dad had two sons and we would go to the laundromat. I don't know if anybody knows about what a laundromat is here in Baldwin Harbor, but we would go to we would go to the laundromat and we my dad would teach us how to be a good husband. And my dad didn't know how to cook salad back then. But if my mom needed something to eat, he would find a way. Older men teaching the coming generations how to be providers, not just financially because I understand that there are seasons where we just do not have, and yet you can be a good provider for your house. You might not have money in your pocket, but you love on your wife well. You love on your children well, and you provide for them everything they need. And in your obedience, God will be a blessing unto you. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 says, Husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's a lesson for us. I've been having a lot of these conversations with some folks recently. Do not be harsh towards your wife. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. You see that? It's not saying that the woman is less than the men. He's saying husbands show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Don't get offended. Hold on for a second. Showing honor to the woman. Specifically, if we sit in that phrasing, showing honor to a woman, never curse at your wife. Calm yourself. Be sober-minded when you want to raise your voice at your wife. Although you are called to be the head of your house, you are to honor your wife. And wife, in your space of being a wife, lean towards the leadership of your husband. This is a healthy home if God has given you a husband. Again, I understand that there are scenarios where I might not have my husband anymore. But if we're found in this type of marital relationship, husband and wife, this isn't boyfriend to girlfriend. This isn't partner to partner. Uh, I know that's a new thing right now. That's my, my partner and that's my, um, my person, right? This doesn't say person. This is not my person. It says husband to wife. This is telling us how we should be as husbands and wife. To submit to your husbands doesn't mean that you are less important. It means to acknowledge the order that God has created for our homes. The husband is the head and the covering of his wife. Husband, you are made to be a protector, not an abuser. You were called to love and provide for her, not just to take from her. Wife, in your submission to your husband, you don't just honor your husband, you honor your husband because you honor God. By honoring his intended order for the home, and it is God's intended order for the home. I believe that the same applies to the church. Where God puts this into the hands in terms of the home, he puts this leadership on the head of the man to be supported and helped by the wife, and then for them to jointly raise up disciples of Jesus Christ. Part of the discipleship also is us teaching our children how to love Jesus Christ and train them like he's doing in Titus here to teach them how to one day be the older woman and the older man. In verse 6 of Titus 2, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And that's kind of all he says to the younger men. For those of us who were men in the room when we were younger, that made, that made a lot of sense. The simple fact that we would be self-controlled would bring us a lot of peace. But I love that he would say this to the men and the women alike. Be self-controlled. We are our worst enemies when it comes to righteousness. Because our flesh is crying out to do the wrong thing. Have you noticed that? If you've ever kind of detached yourself from God and what God intends for you, you realize that like after a while when you haven't prayed or read your Bible and you're on vacation for eight weeks, you're like, oh man, I kind of want to do the wrong thing. I, it's the, the thrill of the danger. It's true though, isn't it? 
And that's the beauty even of, of this, right? Because if we have a week where we've been disconnected, we come back here and there's a guy that stands up front and says, hey, listen, like, let's get our lives back on the road here. What God intended from us. So young men, young men in the house, self-control. If you're young and single, men, man or woman, self-control. We must teach our young men how to be men of honor, respect, integrity, dignity, and good works. Note that this is also the joint responsibility of the church and not just the home. To lead a church is to ensure that our men, women, and children learn of their God-appointed responsibilities. So there might be some people who say that the church has no uh, business telling me how to live. But we are the ones who declare God's word. And he does have the authority to tell us how to live as men, women, and children. Children, honor your mother and your father that your days might be long. Bond servants, he also speaks to here. Now, bond servants, we don't see today the way we explained last week. Remember the doulos? Bond servants, because if you owed somebody money and couldn't pay them back, you would pay them back by becoming their servant. So he also tells bond servants how to live. He says, uh, what is that, verse 7? Sorry, I thought I had it here. Verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. When we trust in God and in carrying out our responsibilities, we adorn God's holy doctrine. Now, this means that we show the beauty of the gospel, listen, by living it and by wearing it. That is how we adorn. Now, the definition of adorn, I don't have a specific definition, but to adorn something like you do your Christmas trees, you put something on it to make it sparkle and stand out. How, how do we adorn, what does it say here? How do we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior? We adorn God's holy doctrine by living it and fleshing it out. That is how we raise it up on high and we show that we have received it and accepted it as truth. Verse 11, which is my favorite verse of the book of Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Can we read that together? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This means that there has no, that grace has no exception of person. God's salvation was for all, just as his instruction was for the old. The old, the young, the man, the woman, the free, and the bond servant. Notice that. He speaks how we all should move within the gathering of the saints. And so it's to the woman, to the man, to the children, and even to the bond servants. The grace of God is Christ Jesus. If you read this right. For the grace of God has appeared, which means that it was Christ Jesus. He is the grace of God, and he was given for all people. I stress this because 
we get, if you just look to your left and to your right, this may be, like it was for me, one of the most diverse spaces of worship that I had ever seen. And when I read Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it affirms the fact that his love wasn't just for specific people because they thought they were better or more important. So if anybody ever approaches you and says that God prefers this group of people, you read to them Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has, to, has appeared for all people, bringing salvation for all people. Verses 12 to 14, I'm almost done. These verses instruct us how to live godly lives, not just because you're a man or a woman or young or old. This is for, again, all of us that our response to God's salvation should be a renunciation of ungodliness and to walk upright. Christ gave us all of him, and we are to meet him with all of us, setting our flesh aside so that we may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. And Lord, I pray that in this house that we might adorn your holy doctrine. Amen. I pray that that would be a prayer in your heart. Lord, with all that I am and all that you have made me to be, that my life would adorn your holy doctrine. Have you ever wondered if God, I, I wonder this all the time in regards to our church, if Jesus were to show up and sit in this house, what would he say? Would he sit here and say, oh, this is for me and I receive it? What about if he came into your house? And honestly, he should already be there. I'm talking about in the flesh. If he were to come down for a moment and sit in your house for a day, what would he see? Are we adorning his holy doctrine with our lives? Are we actually fleshing this out? And I know it's hard, and that's why he provided grace to satisfy the remainder of what we just couldn't achieve. But are we honestly renunciating our ungodliness? That's a good question, I think, for today. Something for you to take with you. Have I renounced my ungodliness? Let's close our eyes. 